Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. This podcast is brought to you by Native Grape Odyssey. Native Grape Odyssey is an educational project financed by the European Union to promote European wine in Canada, Japan, and Russia. Enjoy. It's from Europe. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast with me, Monty Ward. My guest today is Catherine Stratton. Catherine is a Los Angelina, and she's the founder of CS Selections. What is CS Selections? It's a very, very tiny brokerage in Los Angeles. Right, well, that was a great interview. Thank you very much for coming on the Italian Wine Podcast. <laughs> See you next time. Very, very tiny. <laughs> okay, you're not allowed to kick the table. No, I'm sorry. Um, right, so go on. Is it what, an importer? Are so you agent? I, what do you do? I work for four separate portfolios, three of which are direct imports with distribution licenses, and the other one is actually a brokerage unto itself, so I broker for a broker. It's very complicated, but I sell wine from all over the world. And zoning in on Italy, what works, what doesn't work, what do you work with? So I work with a California-only importer that up until last year when I essentially sought them out, were only working in Northern California. So I've brought them to the Los Angeles market. And they have been primarily focused on pretty classic style Italian wine, but I'm working with them to sort of broaden the stretch of certified organic, maybe more natural in the sense like clean natural side of wine and maybe more unusual native varieties. Okay, so let's dig deeper into that in terms of native varieties. What is working at the moment and where do you think you can make a difference in terms of Italian native varieties getting into your market? So Los Angeles is an incredibly open market in the sense that they are not stuck in some sort of rut thinking that Italian wine is what it was 25, 30 years ago. But that's but are there places? Changed. Are there other places in America that do you think still think? That, oh, absolutely. How, would you care to name any or not? No, right, it's it. not fair only because I haven't been to many of them, so I feel like I can't be judgy. The thing about Los Angeles is it's like having 30 cities squished into one, so every neighborhood has its own set of wine that they would like to purchase, and there needs to be a huge array of things that you offer in an Italian portfolio to make everyone happy. So you have neighborhoods like Venice and Silver Lake that only want super obscure natural wine at an incredibly low price, or you go to something like slightly outside of Los Angeles, you end up in Orange County, for example, where they're still, you know, their Chardonnay is still queen and Cabernet is still king and they still drink a lot of Pinot Noir and they're the kind of people that still want Chianti Classico, they want Barolo, they want, you know, they'll drink Suave and Gavi because they remember the names. It's generational. So as younger people can't afford to live in cool places and they're spreading out, I'm seeing the edges blur, which is quite exciting, which means there are areas where I couldn't go before with any of my interesting wines, my native grape varietals that maybe no one knows how to pronounce. Now they're accepting them. So there's a nice blurring of the edges happening okay so what about the future though i mean how are you going to continue to to make progress is that just down to you is it also down to influencing the media that also are influencing what people drink or restaurants i know it's kind of chicken and egg isn't it really yes i don't exactly know where it will start I think it starts oftentimes with the social media of the places where people like to shop. Less, like, I think that my influence is coming from knowledge and events and this whole Italian wine ambassador side of things for people. Now there's a title that goes along with my level of expertise, which is helpful, so that when people 
ask me questions and I can, you know, extrapolate on for half an hour about something they really probably didn't want to hear about. I do forewarn them. I will go as deep as you'd like to go into this. Please for let me know. Do you want to just have the fluffy conversation or do we want to have the in-depth conversation and about you kind the of history? Prefer, you kind of get the impression you prefer the in-depth. I do prefer the in-depth, but only with the people who want to go there. I don't think pouring this knowledge on someone who doesn't understand enough yet about Italian wine is the smartest of choices because then it just gets more confusing rather sure. than less. But you want to get them excited. You want to intrigue them in the history, in the style of winemaking, the, even just the simplicity of if you drink more Italian wine, you'll probably have fewer headaches as long as it's of quality. You know, there's California market. So many people tell me, I'm allergic to sulfites. It's my least favorite comment that I ever get because then I have to lecture them. Why? Because it's the alcohol that's giving them the headache rather than sulfites. Or the pesticides sprayed on the grapes that then don't get washed that get made into wine and then they drink a lot of it and they're also buying their wine at supermarkets for $8.99 a bottle and buying $40 steaks at Whole Foods. Right. There's a, a big kind of disparity on what people will do with their quality and I find that people are willing to go to the ends of the earth to eat organic but they forget to drink organic. Right, that's quite important but isn't that, hasn't that historically been a problem of availability? It's not a problem in LA anymore. Availability of organic has nothing to do with it. I mean we have stores that focus primarily organic, biodynamic, natural it won't even get in the door if it's not. So it's more the willingness of people to understand that wine is food. So where does Italy fit with that though given that Italy and uh, ranks also with Spain is one of the most important producers of organic wine on the planet. I think that there are leaders in the market in it. And I think Spain as well. Spain less in California, oddly enough. I did have the pleasure of working with a wonderful Spanish book for a number of years, and theirs were some of the most fun wines to sell. So I can't, I maybe have a skewed vision on it because it was a huge source of my income for many, many years was selling organic Spanish wine. So I think Italy has a better chance of breaking through that edge, that market, because people have such a love for Italy. I think kind of universally, person to person, anyone you talk to in the United States loves Italy. Most of them have been there. If they haven't been there, they want to go. And I think fewer people think about Spain with a, with as much fondness. Okay, do you do um, events and tastings to get people enthused? I mean, are you allowed to do that legally? How does that yeah. work? Yeah, no, I do. It's always linked through store. So some place that has an, uh, we have on and off premise locations. So as long as they have an on-premise license, meaning they can pour wine, either tasting glasses or bottles in an event, um, I have a number of favorite places to do them, obviously, is you get a lot of repeat people coming. And the repeat people are the ones that come back because they know you're going to be there and they know that they will learn something valuable and taste some really good wine. And that started, I mean, I'm not remotely famous and I should probably be better at the social media part of it. It's not a huge, huge skill of mine. I do try, but I kind of rely on the store to get the word out and then I'm there to educate people. So go on, run me through it. I'm coming to one of your tastings. I sit down. And then Most of them are not sit down. All right, stand up. Yes. Oh, stand up, walk around. No, it's not about that. It's about LA is too casual. Oh, right. So it's kind of a convivial and... Yes. So it's like a wine tasting with a glass in your hand. Yes. And you may or may not listen to... But you're not actually standing there giving a speech and talking about, you know, polyphenols and things like that, are you? Unless someone asks about them. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I can go into that if we want to, but So really, mostly... so you're, you're there and they know that they can say, what is this made from? How is it yes. fermented? So the, the tasting I did most recent, right before leaving for Italy this time, the week before I left, was what I called the North versus the South. It was an Italian wine battle for fun. Um, we had five, five wines from the North and five wines from the South. And 
you know, I brought in a person who knows quite a lot about Italian wine, and she lives part of the year in Los Angeles and part in Maine, and had her as sort of a helper, and she chose to pour the northern wines, which is fine by me because I'm a little, you know, south in love, you can put it that way. And what do you mean south in love? What do you mean? South pour, in pouring love. Wine? I wouldn't have, I don't know if I would have been particularly good at convincing people that the north was better. She was better at that because, for me, these wines that I was pouring from the south were, I think, the best expressions of what we were hoping they would be. And, you know, basically, I but mostly had Campania in Sicily when it was... It was fun because you allowed people to sort of make a bit of a game out of it. Upon leaving, one was supposed to place their vote so that we could find out who won. Okay. And it was very, very annoyingly a perfect tie. <laughs> which I was but like, that's good. They have to redo it. I know. I was like, well, and then apparently it wasn't skewed enough, and I need to try a little harder and let the sound. Now you want to win. keep on with that one. You keep yeah. them coming back forever. Keep coming back. You keep yeah. giving them new wines, giving them new experiences. No, give them the same wine. Same wine yeah, over so and until, over until you, until you're not buying a new wine. Until you get this. Oh, no, this is this is the, the producers give the wine for this. Okay, well, anyway, so it's just the sense. At least I'm not paying for the wine, but no, at least to give broad scope, I was trying to do something that maybe was even slightly more extreme. So we avoided the center of Italy altogether and poured nothing at all from Tuscany, which is unusual for Italian wine tastings. And uh, people were really into it. I had a lot of almost every single thing. Every single thing we were pouring. Oh, I had, every single thing is good. Um, we had. I had photos of the properties, and you know, so people had sort of like a little slideshow on an iPad going by, and they could get a sense of where they were and, and the extremity of things. But a lot of what I was doing was drawing parallel. So I had a picture of the Dolomites next to what the vineyards look like in Irpinia and in Campania in the south. Yeah, which is and like so five hundred and fifty kilometers away. So. Polar opposite sides, elevation wise, the Irpinia vineyards were much higher. And so we're dealing with the 650 meters of vineyards in the south and then the 350 meters high vineyards in Trentino that we were looking at. And people, I think, don't realize that that it's so mountainous everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, the south gets sort of a rap of being hot and dry and nothing else. And so it's fun to show them that you can, it's not remotely the same thing, but you have so many parallels to draw all over this country, but so many little tiny, tiny microclimates. And it endlessly fascinating you never run out of things to learn yeah I mean one of the reasons for that I mean Italy the majority of land in Italy is on a slope because Italy is being scrunched up into the Alps by the African plate and that's why you have these hills um, all over the country whether it's Etna it's obviously a volcano from, um, in Campania up to the, the Dolomites basically where, where the real crunch is happening um, and so this advantage for hill sites A I think makes for intensity in terms of um, airflow and things like that um, it, it uh, creates complex terroirs and as we were hearing you know you have for Alps in the south of Italy and in the, in the right in the Mediterranean part you have snow uh, on those mountains um, and into early spring and that's what you're trying to say just showing the photographs I think is a great way of doing that because people just won't believe it it's very hard to process until you actually see the snow guys this, this is near Naples mm-hmm. which is not far from Africa and even just or how much snow is on Etna I mean people don't ever think of a volcano being covered in snow and still spewing things out of the top of it it's fascinating mm-hmm. but my picture was actually a square picture for Instagram where the top was the dollar and the bottom was Irpinia. I don't think anyone really knew, even though I had north written on the top picture and south written on the south, I don't think anyone ever processed them as being actually specifically different. So, so I wanted Irpinia. to show a Sorry. battle, but also the complete similarity in a lot of it, and just that everything is, you get elevation and you get exceptional winemaking kind of no matter where you are on this boot. Okay, Irpinia, just saying that's uh, in the Campania region, and it's where you're going to get Fiano di Avellino White and Taurasi Red. Where my yes, brother and Greco, my favorite. And Greco, so that's my, um, my brother-in-law. <laughs> 
Airpods from that, so he's a policeman, he's from, oh. he's from a pina. So you have some he's, got a t- he's got a tattoo, Airpods. He's got, as the word comes from the Latin, Airpods, he's got a huge tattoo, he's a policeman. On his, uh, he rolls up his police jacket. Oh, yeah. He's got this thing called Airpods. And I say, what is that? Mm. It's an Airpina. So, anyway. I do love I don't know why that was relevant. Re- it wasn't relevant, we'll be at a car, so. <laughs> so, so no worries. But he is a police officer, very helpful to have He is, yeah, he does, and he doesn't drink wine. Why? Because he just doesn't. He just doesn't uh, drink wine, he drinks soft drink, he doesn't drink wine. Is there something wrong with him? You're going to have to ask him that, and okay. bearing in mind he does carry a weapon 24-7. True. Okay, so that was the educational <laughs> side for, obviously, trade. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So do you, have, do you any, do any work with consumers? Well, that's, again, what these, these tastings are for. Technically, I'm dealing mostly with consumers when I do tastings. Okay. I actually prefer to do consumer tastings in small atmospheres and trade tastings in large. I think that... Why? Sort of... Well, I think because trade knows what they want. Do they? A lot of them do. A lot of the ones that I work with are pretty... They're on top of it. They know exactly what they want in life. They, they know exactly um, what you think you, and, told, you told them they should be buying. Well, and then part of my job, I think, is talking them out of what they think is everything is right. and bring. But then I prefer to see them one-on-one. So if I'm going to be at a trade tasting, it should just be a large trade tasting. People can come up, talk to you if they want to talk to you, and it's fine. But small consumer tastings, I think you get a chance to create a lot of new fans and fan base. Is that because is really they're, not, um, they're not... They're um, not stuck in a particular way of viewing it you've actually you've got more freedom to say I think there's more freedom though they are very stuck they tend to drink the same thing every day but you're dealing with, with, with females and males when they come out like, uh-huh. and how do they react to you as a woman not too bad you know I mean there are some men that most certainly you can tell when the moment they walk up that they they know everything and they want to tell you about stuff so you just nod and smile and let them think they know what's right I do occasionally find myself wanting to educate people that do not want to be educated and I have learned over the years just kind of let it go yeah some people cannot be taught and there is no point in attempting to burst their bubble because they don't want it burst burst their bubble yeah nice one Nicely live in this little bubble, and it's fine. You can just drink Cabernet for the rest of your life. I don't mind. Oh, so there's nothing wrong with that, but it's probably a little bit boring. <laughs> yeah, well, I just the idea of never trying anything new. How do you how do you know if you like it if you haven't tried it? So at least I think the first step is that they're willing to come to these, and they're willing to taste things that but maybe they, they would never have tasted if they weren't at a tasting. So they haven't been dragged along by their partner or something. Maybe they have, but they're still tasting them. Do you deal with food and wine matching? I haven't in a number of years, but I used to. I come from the restaurant business. Okay, well, why don't you do? that a bit more what was it too difficult or too complicated or uh, no. just muddling the message or I got tired in, in Los Angeles there's no such thing well rarely is there such thing as just a purely wine director or sommelier position so it's usually piggybacked onto management and it's exhausting I was working 70 75 hour work weeks running a wine program training staff and still actually being on the floor every night and it was it gets to the point where you just can't physically do it anymore and if one wants to have a life and a family and you know all these things that you want in the world if you're, that's what you're gaming for you cannot necessarily have both sides of our partnership as in husband and wife both in the restaurant business we'd never see each other so right. okay. you know it's it's it was a it was a conscious decision to get off my feet and start using my education for something that was more valued cool okay so where do you see the future well as we're diving further into the Italian wine world I hope it becomes more and more focused because mm-hmm. right now I don't sell just Italian wine. I sell quite a lot of many different wines from many different countries. But why would you say focus on Italy when you've got, I don't know, Champagne or German Riesling or Austrian Grunerellino mm. or Spanish Rioja or Ribera or Priorato? Why would you why would you just chuck them away for 
Orvieto, for it's example. It's not so much chucking away. I've had my time with them. I actually enjoy selling Greek wine more than I enjoy selling many of the other things that I have, and there's a lot of connection there between Greece and Italy. But for me, it's it's just a long-time love affair with this country that started when I walked off of a really, really awful tour bus when I was 17, and it was like I'd found home. Really? Yeah. So it's emotional for you? It's emotional, but also because I feel like I can bridge a gap. I am a purely American person with zero Italian blood that somehow found where they were supposed to be and learned the language, learned the history, dove into it head first. I mean, I came the first time at 17. I moved here at 19 and lived, you know, essentially over three longer periods, about six and a half years in Tuscany. So for me... So you were here, were you here when you were that young? Mm-hmm. On your own? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. I don't know. I'm worried about you, you know. No, I was a very independent child. I never would have guessed. <laughs> My... My mom gave me lots of freedom. That's good, though. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it was before the times of, you know, people looking at a child walking home from school when they are eight years old as something bad. You can't really do that with children anymore in the United States. But for me, I grew up in Venice Beach when it was not a safe place. But you learn street smarts very young. I knew how to get around yeah, the city Yeah, but you're in a foreign country, female foreign country. You know, yeah, maybe but some language issues. Florence. It's like, what kind of... Oh, yeah, Florence. Oh, all oh, right, okay. <laughs> you're staying in the Uffizi every night, you know. Well, I don't know, not quite so much that. And, and then I learned that I really liked living in the countryside, and so I moved out of Florence and used to commute in for work. And, you know, just as I learned to live life here really live life. So I mean that includes things like dating and things like that. Yeah, but I mean, it wasn't so much of a, a I've never really played the dating game, sort of like a, what do you call it, a serial monogamist. <laughs> so I had... So you're married now? Yes. Oh, okay. And he's not Italian. Right. Strangely enough, I don't Does know how Does he know that, that you're happened. a serial monogamist? Yes. <laughs> right. He landed the last spot, apparently. He was very proud of it. Right, okay. <laughs> For me, it was the country itself taught me how to live life. I mean, this this is a place where I learned quality of life, how to live with very little. They get a lot with not very much. It's not like salaries here are exceptionally high or anything, at least compar- especially comparative to the United States. And how much you can get for the you know your your monthly stipend and and the quality of food, even just at the little outdoor markets and the supermarkets. And of course, globalization I think is sort of taking over, and and everything's quickly becoming as expensive here as it is anywhere else. But at least, you know, when I first got here, it was it was something pretty magical. So what we're going to do, we're going to get you on the Supermarket Sweet podcast next time. <laughs> Ooh, we're gonna, sweet. <laughs> yeah, some, some you know, weekly recommendations for which vegetables are in season. And, oh, yeah, no, I could, and I could talk pricing. We could talk about food if you want to. Yeah, we no, we could do that. talk about that forever. Yeah. I love food. Yeah, I, I, kinda, I think you love everything. I do. You're very enthusiastic. I'm an enthusiastic person. You are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how enthusiastic were you with my interview technique? For what? My interview technique. Are you enthusiastic with that? It's all right. Well, it's not something I've never actually done a podcast. Yeah. I've been on video before but I've never done a podcast this yeah fun. podcasts are easier TV's a pain to make it's well yeah because then they have to keep telling you to do th- do things over again and yeah. I don't so we're going to have to do this podcast myself. again because i got the sound wrong is that right? <laughs> sure yeah. but, half an hour. oh we talk about something completely different oh we just talk about your husband you oh, no well, he might get a little nervous about that well, especially if he's not here well yeah he's, he's getting here tomorrow is he? <laughs> he'll maybe on an airplane or something while this goes out what do you mean maybe on an airplane? well I don't know exactly when this all gets released I don't know. oh okay well nor do we <laughs> oh okay so perfect alright <laughs> I just won't tell him about it. Okay. There's no, there's no plan here. It's just <laughs> no. ad hoc. 
improvised. No, and I like that. I was like, I hate the thing where there's like scripted questions yeah. and things don't allow some sense of natural yeah. flow. You get you get asked the same question about four times by me because I've got probably bad memory. So if oh. I asked you, asked you the same thing, but it's thing. now it's recorded. Yeah, that's true. We can delete you it. You could listen back. Yeah, I, I generally <laughs> tend not to because it's you know. You don't like to listen to yourself talk. No, I don't mind. I have to sometimes. Okay. Yeah, I don't like listening to myself talk. Well, then don't listen to this. But I feel like I have to. Yeah, well, you just listen to it. We I'll just hus- be super embarrassed and turn neon red the entire time. Get your husband to listen to it, and and, see, and you know, if he tells you you're great, then you should listen to it. And if he tells you you are not, then he's yeah, he'll probably just lie to me and tell me I'm great anyway. Well, I don't know. I don't. Do. I have a very very direct relationship with my partner. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that he would just tell me I did a great job, no matter what. Well, I think you've done a great job. <laughs> Thank you. No, it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a side of the industry that this kind of the hand to hand selling aspect is what's needed when you're selling something that is kind of kind of unique and it isn't really replicated. You talk about Greco, for example, so there are various Greco varieties. But you know, if you're selling Merlot, you can you can get Merlot from I don't know 15 different countries. Oh and, yeah. Um, you know, some of these Italian varietals are really only grown in one particular place. So, so that's the hand selling aspect. So what you're doing in terms of education has an extreme logic to it. Um, you're you're taking the fear away from people that, that we all have of the unfamiliar. And it's kind of I think they feel very comfortable with me sharing information now because it's like I've been accepted as this person who is, you know, a pseudo expert of of what it is that I'm talking about. So they don't feel belittled. I remember when I was doing it in the restaurant situation, people hated to be overly educated at a dinner table. But when people are yeah, when people are coming to you for information, it they want to learn. They're there to learn something. They might be moderately terrified and have no idea how to say it but at least they're not trying to order it off a list you know they can come in I'll have wine number one even if they have no idea how to say it at least they're comfortable with this this concept of coming up and tasting things and so I enjoy talking to the consumers in addition to working with people actually who are the ones get the heart the harder job in a lot of ways of selling things to consumers on the floor of a restaurant but what we want to do for them at least restaurant wise is giving them the tools that they need in order to as we all know this business as much as anything else is sometimes about making money so you want to you know achieve a sense of acknowledgement that they they need value they need useful reasonably priced wines that you can pour by the glass and not break the bank and get people excited about something because they're not going to order a bottle of it they've mm. never heard of it they don't know what it is but hey it's $12 by the glass maybe yeah. I'll try it yeah and you and never know just, you might like well no and it's amazing when you when you get someone to like something they didn't think they would it kind of it just it's a whole new world and then so, they get addicted and then they want to travel here and then it gets worse and worse every time and they'll turn into another version of me addicted to the Italian experience <laughs> yes. rather than to the wine just to mm-hmm. be we have, we have like a whole team of lawyers and health and safety oh, yes. executives who are really care about that no I literally addicted to the, to the lifestyle like all those little schmutzy videos they like to show us. Schmutzy, uh, yes. good one. Yeah. <laughs> Where you're just like, oh, it's you, just, it just makes you want to cry just a little bit. It's so pretty. Yes, it is all about it. everything beautiful. And of course, everyone drives a Ferrari. <laughs> you know. But no, honestly, the there's a level of, of complexity to this country that will never cease to amaze me. Yeah, and it won't go away, hopefully. And I hope not. Yeah. So I want to say thanks to my guest today on the Italian Wine Podcast, Catherine Stratton, founder of CS, I guess that's CatherineJoneSelections.com. Yeah, very un, un, not creative at all. That's all right. That's okay. <laughs> it's See. mostly just utilitarian for the LLC. <laughs> for the LLC? LLC, the Limited Liability oh, Corporation okay. name. All right. <laughs> In California, you would legally have to have so that I can sell people wine. <laughs> so um, I just want to say thanks to my guest there, Catherine Stratton. Uh, I was going to say wine educators are the stars. I mean, do you have yeah. any like movie stars that come? No, I used to sell. I used to see plenty of them working in restaurants. 
Yeah. I mean, it was actually that I'm completely unfazed by most of it. Yeah. As you grow up in Los Angeles, you don't even think about people being mm-hmm. famous anymore. But it was fun. Okay. You know, a lot of really awesome ones out there that are incredibly nice and very generous. Okay. So I like to give them a good name whenever anyone asks. Okay, I want to say thanks to my guest today, Catherine Stratton of CS Selections in Los Angeles. Wish you every success in your burgeoning career. Thank you. Uh, being a brand amb- or an ambassador for Italian wine. And I uh, hope things continue to thrive. Me too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Thank you. Ciao. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Native Grape Odyssey, discovering the true essence of high-quality wine from Europe. Find out more on nativegrapeodyssey.eu. Enjoy. It's from Europe. Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. 